Hey, Mabel. Hey, Tori. This is Hey Playwright, a podcast about playwriting and life. Hey, Tori. Hey, Mabel. How's it going? Well, if, if I'm being transparent, I'll say that I'm feeling a bit overwhelmed. I, oh, really? I, yeah, I feel like there's a, there was a box of puzzle pieces. That's my brain, my brain, <laughs> and that it got thrown up in the air and landed. Uh, and I'm trying to kind of quickly piece everything together. And uh, yeah, I feel I feel scrambled a bit. Oh, I'm sorry to hear that. Um, so is there anything that you do kind of in the morning to, to prepare yourself for the unscrambling? Or is there anything that you look forward to in the morning to start the day? Yes, I do look forward to a cup of coffee. Yes. With some oat milk. And I, I look forward to doing a reading for myself with the Creative Alchemy Oracle deck. I really love it. Gosh, that sounds like a huge pitch, but the truth is I do. I do love that deck. And I do find that it gives me a sense of inner peace, you know, um, because it, it really is kind of affirming what you already know, right? And it right. just kind of gently nudges you in that direction. And I will say that for the past several days, I haven't done that. And maybe that's part of my issue right now. Oh, mm -hmm. time to center yourself, Tori, and uh, light a candle and bust out the cards and and treat yourself to a reading. I think that's a that's yeah, a, that's a that would probably be a really good thing. Well, today's guest is actually the mastermind behind the Creative Alchemy Oracle deck. We are so excited to have this guest on. I can't believe that she actually agreed to be a part of this. I know. We, we've become some somewhat of fangirls. So our guest today um, describes herself as a creative alchemist, which I love. We are going to find out more about that. She is so many things. Uh, amongst them, she is an artist, a storyteller, a writer, and I, I mean, her art is just incredible. And Mabel and I have both gotten to experience that and also sit in on a Zoom with her. Um, she's all about collaboration and um, healing, which is a big part of her push as an artist and as a human being. So I am delighted to invite Sarah Greenman to our podcast. Welcome, Sarah. Hi. Hi. <laughs> I'm so excited to be here with you too. This is awesome. Well, you know, our journey to finding you came through another playwright and fellow teaching artist, um, Thelma DeCastro. And we did not know at the time that we were introduced to you that you were a playwright as well. I love that. <laughs> That was just another nice gift that it's like a came boon. Way. It, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So for those of you that have been listening to our podcast, we are beyond, you don't understand, beyond excited to actually have Sarah Greenman here so that you get to hear why why we can't stop talking about her. How how much of an impact? Seriously, Sarah, you have had such a huge impact the 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 short amount of time that we've known of your existence i think 
has been amazing and has just like ripple effects because it was my mom's birthday this week and I actually gave her the creative alchemy oracle deck for her birthday. Oh, I love that you did that. That's great. Yes. yes. So wonderful. Oh, I, that's this is so humbling. Like I'm just like I'm all smiles right now. The fact I I I love being talked about because it means that I'm doing my work in the way that I want to be doing my work. So this is exciting to me. Thank you. Oh, <laughs> yes. Well, I, and I think that Mabel and I may have shared the story about how we had learned about you through Thelma, who used your cards f- for a writing prompt on our podcast. Yes. And that separately, Mabel and I, without talking to one another, bought cards the oracle deck for each other for each other i saw for it come in like one right after the other i was like this is adorable yes <laughs> like the gift of the magi right Tori? Totally. that's exactly right yes and and i have to tell you i use them um every day and the experience for me has been um it, it's just blown my mind a bit i i know that mabel and i when we first started doing them, we would take pictures of our readings and send them to each other and go, that's marvelous. (laughs) (laughs) And and there's something about um, using the cards in that way that gives me a chance to breathe and think about how I'm going to navigate my day. And that's, that's what I appreciate about them. Um, So I like when we sat in on your zoom and you were uh, talking about how you do your readings mm-hmm. and you, you said you, you use the term woo woo, yes, <laughs> which made me laugh, but I went, you know what? There's something magical in these cards. They work for me. And I feel that. Yeah. yeah. I'm so yeah. glad to hear that. Yeah. Woo is sort of an important part of my life. I think that uh, <laughs> anyone who's living without woo in their life is really missing out. So can you define woo? What, what, how do you define that? What is that? What does that mean? Woo is to me that little extra bit of magic that exists in our everyday. It's part of the human experience that we either can pay attention to or not. But if you do pay attention to it, it makes things a lot more fun. And I'm all about joy and having some fun. And so if things can be a little woo woo, and we can add a little ritual to our days, and we can make meaning out of seemingly nothing, then, um, then I feel like we're doing good work here on earth. <laughs> I just want to know a little bit more about the Creative Alchemy Oracle deck. Like, but- how did, how did you decide to create that? Like, how, like, what was the process for that coming to life? Well, I have about uh, 12 or 13 years behind me of making paintings. So I have, well, hundreds of paintings now that I've created. And uh, I have this beautiful, I think, body of work that's just sort of sitting there. Uh, I've taken, I'm a photographer as well. So I've taken really high quality photos of all of those paintings over the years. And I was working with a, a person named Anya Hankin, and she has this program that she does called the Creative 
uh, or sorry, not the creative alchemy. That's me. I have the creative alchemy deck. <laughs> she has a catalyst cohort. It's a group of facilitators and leaders. And we do this sort of facilitator training. And at the top of that gathering, she had us all create these little mini collages. And we made um, like an Oracle deck out of all of our collective collages. And it was such fun. And I went home with this deck and I enjoyed using it. And I thought, this is silly. I have all of this incredible imagery and I have a, a really deep understanding of all of those images, how they were made, why they were made. And I'm really familiar with tarot decks. And so I decided to try out my own 50 card alchemy or uh, Oracle deck. And so um, I just jumped in. And I, I had such fun building it out. And I created a, a um, online directory as well with interpretations and sort of deeper resonances and meanings. And, and Thelma uses it as, I think, almost purely as a uh, writing prompt tool, which I love because that's something I, as a writer, it's silly, I didn't think about that. But she, that was sort of the unintended like byproduct that she brought out in it. And I loved that she did that. So now I'm using it as a writing prompt tool for myself. Ah. I love, I just love that it's being used in ways I never imagined it would be used. That is so great. Isn't it fun? And yes. And yeah. so, so the, because um, I have the deck right here. Mm. I know. I, I have um, mine. I have mine too. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> so, so because you created these paintings, because that was going to be, I, so the images and then the meanings behind the images, you already had that because that would, that went into what, Yes. What when you were creating the the original artwork? Absolutely. So already, oh wow! So this is just a natural progression of. It really was, and you know, it it allowed me to think really deeply about um, what those images are saying to me now that I've um, been living with them for quite a few years, and so I love doing readings for people as well because I have it. They those those images they speak to me in a, a really particular way <laughs> uh, because I created them. So I love reading them and I love being in dialogue with them in this way and having them handheld is so much fun. Oh, yes. I, I really, there's something very comforting about bringing mm. the cards out in the morning yeah. and then just, uh, you know, taking a deep breath. Yeah. I, I just love the cards. They are gorgeous too. Thank you. I love using them in a daily fashion, just doing a one card draw. That's mm -hmm. about sort of how do I focus my energy today or where do I need to be sort of sending my energies. And I, I really appreciate having, um, I, I have a brain that moves in uh, multilateral directions. And so sometimes I need something that help narrow, you know, just like Iris in a little right. um, to help me walk through my days. So this has been a huge tool for that. So how does Sarah Greenman now deal with challenges? Because you sound like you're in a really good place, you know, in your life, like a, like you have a deep understanding of who you are. I um, do. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's every journey for everyone is so, so different, but um, mine in particular starts in a really um, curious way fashion. I'm a curious person and I really like people and I really love stories. So my early years are always about listening and digesting and um, gestating other people's stories. But when I started having a life of my own, I just came up against a lot of, um, I guess what other people would call trauma or uh, just really difficult events that uh, transpired. And 
So I had a lot of practice really fast at deciding who I was going to be in the face of those, those events. I, um, have my young, uh, my oldest child is a beautiful young person. And, um, and my second child is also a beautiful young person, but also has a myriad of medical issues, intersecting medical issues. He has a stroke disorder, cerebral palsy, uh, an epilepsy disorder. And so in the face of, um, the sort of reality of his birth that my, my partner and I were going to be dealing with, all of that on top of parenting was sort of a, a big moment for us to hurdle. And we decided early on, like we were going to choose this life every day. And if we didn't choose it for what it was, we were going to get swept away by it. And so that sort of catapulted some things. Once you're in that position, you're like, who am I saving it for? Like, let's do this. <laughs> and um, a few years later, I lost my brother to an opioid overdose. And that was a hard, oh. hard, hard hit. Um, he was very close to me. We were Irish twins, right? We were born in the same mm. year, calendar year. And uh, and so losing him was such a, a devastating awakening. And so the, between those sort of two catalytic events in my life, I feel like I really had to get to know myself quickly or I was going to lose myself quickly. Wow. Th thank you so much for sharing that. that yeah. Um, I mean, not to go like super deep really fast, no. but that's kind of how I um, process things now is yeah, through the lens yeah. of that grief. Yeah. No. And I think um, I really appreciate your vulnerability and sharing about that it, it um it does show how you were able to take those experiences and really um grow out from them and and i can really hear that through um through your sharing mm -hmm. and thank you thank you oh my pleasure <laughs> I'm all about sharing stories. I mean, that's what playwrights do, right? Heck we're, yeah. <laughs> we're, Heck here to, yeah. <laughs> we're knitting together the sort of sinews of our humanity through storytelling. And I, I'm here for it. The way that you phrase that about, you know, making the choice for this life is really empowering. I mean, talk about claiming that the power of, of the experience. And I, actually there's a quote on your website that I saw that was incredible. I mean, it's, the kind of thing that one needs a t-shirt for. <laughs> Art is how I alchemize despair and anguish into joy. That's yeah. my goal. Yeah, that's my mission. That is just something that I I hope to remember in my most difficult times. That's just what a what a what an empowering way to look at whatever comes your way. That's just incredible. Art has always been an alchemical tool for me. It's it's my way of spinning straw into gold, for sure. It's also my way of understanding what the hell I'm going through. Otherwise, I just feel really at sea. Yeah, I was reading your description of why you chose alchemy as your descriptor. And it it's it's just such a great um, analogy. I mean, the word it, you know, talking about what an alchemist does or what it meant, you know, right. years ago. Back in the olden days. <laughs> the olden days. Yes. Where the chemist would come to your house and make a right. concoction. <laughs> well, I also loved that, you know, in the sort of um, really old sense of alchemy, it's chemists who are literally trying to turn metal elements into gold. Right. 
right? And it it's kind of wonderful. It's like, oh yes, let's please turn things into gold. <laughs> yeah. Let's take the the nonsense that we don't understand. Yeah. <laughs> I think confusion and chaos has a place, but yes. if it stays confusion and chaos, then we're we're a lost cause. But yeah. if we can take that confusion and chaos and do something generative with it that ultimately leads us to deeper connection with each other, then truly uh, that's I mean that's all I care about. <laughs> I'm a one issue voter and it's deep connection. <laughs> That's deep connection is my issue. <laughs> so Sarah, um, playwriting, let's talk playwriting. Yes. Is there a project that you are currently working on right now? Yes. I'm working on two projects cause I like doing multiple things at one time. Um, I'll sleep when I'm dead, but, um, right. I, yeah. Currently, I'm working uh, collaboratively with a group called Moderate Woo. There's that word again that I love. And this is a um, feminist storytelling collective that I helped found about two years ago. And we have taken a series of many, many interviews with um, mothers and mother figures. And we're telling stories of motherhood. Basically, what don't we know about motherhood in America? And we're looking at marginalized motherhood stories. And we're weaving them into a series of episodes. Now we're pivoting into a podcast form instead of a play because yay COVID. So I'm working on that project right now. And then the play that I'm really working on full time is uh, a collaboration with Eastern Oregon University out here in Eastern Oregon, La Grande, Oregon. And we're working with the Wallowa Resource Center and the um, Rural Engagement and Vitality Center out here, uh, which are incredible nonprofit organizations. And we are telling verbatim stories about the urban rural divide in the state of Oregon. And when I started this a year and a half ago, ooh, baby, I did not know how much we would need this, this story. So we um, have a couple of really wonderful uh, team members from Eastern Oregon University, students who are in an, um, an intern situation with my partner and I, Jack Greenman is my uh, husband and also an actor and was um, head of acting at Southern Methodist University for many years. And he and I are working with this team uh, to create, we're not sure what yet, but we're starting the interview process and it's going to be a verbatim piece. We're interviewing wildly diverse characters from all across the state and having conversations about what's important to us. Wow. And I'm really excited. It's a two-year project. So we'll have a play on our hands in about two years. Is the other play that you're working on verbatim theater as well? It is starts as verbatim interviews, but we take a lot of license and we amalgamate some characters and we do a lot of sort of free form um, writing around the, I mean, we use those as sort of our, the gravitas of the source material, but we um, take creative license with the motherhood project with moderate woo, as opposed to the Eastern Oregon university uh, urban rural divide uh, project, which is going to be purely verbatim. And so can you talk about what verbatim theater is? Absolutely. So we're interviewing real people from all over the state who are going to be singing their songs and telling their stories about 
what's important to them, what their lived experience has been in this state, whether they are fifth generation cattle ranchers from Malheur, or they are living in Portland, Oregon, or statesmen uh, from Salem. And we are taking those interviews verbatim, and we are editing them into a shareable story that uh, is going to hopefully catalyze some really interesting conversations in this state. We're going to take it everywhere we can. So actors will portray the interviewees? Yes. Okay. Using and their I, words. The using their direct words. Using actual their words. Yeah. actual words. Yep. Um, and then you were talking about who's involved with the project. Are Do you have collaborators that are helping to um, shape it, you know, take the stories and decide like what goes where. Or... So with our community partners, they definitely are helping shape it by identifying interviewees. They themselves have questions for the interviewees. So they're definitely shaping the kinds of answers we're getting by the questions we're asking. Uh, I would say, but um, we're going to be shaping this based on the answers we get from our interviewees. They are shaping this story. So it's been interesting talking to funders because they're like, what is it about? Like, well, we are (laughs) not sure. (laughs) It is going to reveal itself very shortly. And that's going to be interesting. How, how did it come about though that it was it did you come up with the idea or where you know actually i didn't i uh, was i did a reading of another play of mine called lenny about oh, the yes. german filmmaker lenny riefenstahl and um a gentleman was in the audience who saw that reading and they approached me later and they were very involved with cycle organ which is a pretty large nonprofit out here and they have a huge stake in having urban rural conversations because their cyclists do um sort of cross-state travel and he said you know i've just i'm so interested in a perspective the rural perspective about what this state really needs there's this disconnect, this huge divide that's happening. It's happening all over the country. It's not new. Right. Um, I was say, it's that's, like, yeah. it's everywhere. That's, it's everywhere. It, yeah. But in Oregon, it's clearly uh, with the racial reckoning that's happening in our country right now, it's sort of, we are a flashpoint. Uh, and this was, you know, we weren't, we have always been, <laughs> but it really came to a head this summer. And so um, this project I think is needed so much more now than it even was needed a year ago. But um I'm just really curious about and interested in the bones and the marrow of these stories. I'm curious about the places where they intersect. I'm curious about the places where we want similar things and we have really different ideas about how to get them. I'm interested in um, hearing and waiting stories from marginalized communities in a really different way and centering the voices of Black Orgonians and Indigenous Orgonians. And um, we have a very, I think, just sort of beautifully rich interviewee pool that we are just starting to head into. So I'm, I'm so excited about talking to these folks. And like I said at the beginning of our interview, like I love people. I love talking to folks. And I don't have, um, I don't have an agenda about where this is headed. This is not a liberal project or a Republican project or an independent project necessarily in terms of political parties. It's very much about connective tissue 
and how we um, all get a little bit of what we need and how we connect. I really truly, truly believe that if you hear somebody's story, and this is why I became a playwright in the first place. If you hear somebody's story, you're going to start to care about them. And once you start to care about them, you'll start to learn more about them. And once you learn more about them, you'll start taking risks for them. And once you start taking risks for them, then you are in a space of co-conspirator and you are working together for each other. And that sort of reciprocity is what is needed, I think, across this country. But I, I'm trying to do it locally here. We deserve it. Yes. Oh my gosh, you just need to drop the mic on that one. <laughs> yeah. Okay, boom. No, mic I, drop. Serious. I, I was over here, my eyes were welling up with tears because <laughs> that's, no, because that's why, that's why I, I, I'm speaking for Mabel, but that's why we do theater too. And we mm-hmm. try to, we try to um, relay that to, to the populations that we work with and go, hey, you know, I, you will start to see people differently as you write from their perspective. Yeah. And yeah. It's mm-hmm. a kind of medicine and it's the first medicine we ever had. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> and so uh, I'm not ready to abandon that medicine. Storytelling is where I think we are going to heal. Mm. Oh my goodness. Yes. All the snaps. All the snaps. I love it. Mabel, you're like, snap, 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 snap. I love it. As you were saying, I was like, we are with our people, Tori. (laughs) I know. I know. Because Um, we we talk about in our classes because we usually work with like people that don't necessarily uh, have a priority in playwriting. That is why it's such a meaningful work for us because if we can put across that message that if you can share your story and I get to hear your story, I, whether I came from a different perspective, a different experience, a different sense of understanding or a prejudgment, things will change for me once I hear your story and vice versa. You'll Absolutely. hear my story. And yeah, so, so we are, we're all yeah. in this, this boat together trying to trying to work the mission of, of just trying sharing storytelling. Yeah. <laughs> trying, trying to paddle. To paddle. Yeah. <laughs> and, and honoring everyone's story. I think about it in this, this sort of old fashioned way of like old medicinal way of like taking the waters. Have you ever heard this phrase? Mm-hmm. It's mm-hmm. this idea that, um, that if you go to a spring, a mountain spring, or you go to a hot spring or some place where the earth is bubbling up this clear, beautiful, nourishing water, taking the waters is a way of like imbibing the earth's medicine. And it was something that a lot of sort of old doctors, if you had melancholy, or if you were a lady and you had hysteria or something of that nature, they would in- <laughs> they would invite you to take the waters. And so to me, that's about like, we need to take each other's waters. Like we need to okay. like, drink from your fountain. <laughs> so they, they, they were not talking about Jen. No. <laughs> <laughs> take the waters. <laughs> I, I love that kind of take the waters. But, you know. <laughs> oh my. So when, when is the project um, slated to start showing? Because I know things so are we're so different hoping, right now. But. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Luckily, I mean, that was one of the beauties of this project was that it technically could all be done over Zoom and virtual for many years, in fact, until we were really ready to get together and put it on its feet. So our hope 
our hope is that um, by fall of 2022, we're in a place where we could do this in person. And Eastern Oregon University is in the process of refurbishing their theater. And so they're, they're doing a beautiful rehabilitation project on their old theater and we'll be the first play that is in that theater. So we'll be the sort of inaugural piece. So I'm very excited about that. Yeah. So hopefully, you know, cross fingers, COVID willing. Fall 2022. Yes. Mabel. Road trip. trip. Oh right my God. I was just I was saying this. Oh, yes. We're there. We'll, we have yeah. guest rooms. <gasps> yes. No, we'll, no, yeah, we'll yeah. be there. We yeah. do. Good. We, we, Good. Yeah. Yes. Oh, that's, that's wonderful. so exciting. Amazing. You know, but it sounds um, like a play based on what you were saying and also just on the very nature of how you're creating it that would lend itself really well to taking it into the communities to perform in open spaces, places like that. That's it our goal. We really want it to yeah. be sort of like a trunk show, right? Like, like yeah. all you need is four actors and a trunk. Yes. And I mean, we want to take this to the halls of the state Congress, you know, the yes. congressional floors, yes. and we want to take this everywhere. We want Sarah, to work with you the need, theaters you need that are RV. here. And... Yeah. <laughs> you need oh, we're going to we're going to do it. <laughs> <laughs> we're going to do it. <laughs> Tori's always trying to push the RV on everyone. I know. I knew it. Yeah. You just want to be a nomad, a theatrical yes. nomad. I, I do. That I want to be. It's like, I appreciate that. I can appreciate yeah, that in a big way. It's like way. The, the traveling days. Um, what were the theater oh, yeah. companies called that would just like whip up, just like you were saying, four actors and they just, you know, oh, yeah. have a trunk. And yeah, except mine would be, you know, a recreational vehicle. Okay. You know. <laughs> Well, four wheel drive, get you out there. <laughs> yes. Oh my. Um, could you talk a bit about Lenny? Was that your first play? Lenny was my first real full play. And um, I wrote it in 2002. And we were in the Bush administration, um, second Bush administration. And uh, a really wonderful theater maker named Patricia Troxel, who was working as the literary director at uh, Pacific Conservatory Theater in Santa Maria, California. She said, mm. I think you should be writing. I was an acting um, student of hers. And then I worked as a, a resident artist, as an actor at this company. And she just said, listen, I, I love what you write. And I think you should be writing plays. And she said, I would love to have her prompt to a couple of women in the um, company, because we had just so few female writers and we had so oh, few yeah. femme um, stories. She said, I want you to take a woman from history and I want you to write like a 15 minute monologue from her point of view. And um, I had just been watching this incredible documentary that's ridiculously long called The Wonderful, Horrible Life of Lenny Riefenstahl. And I had never heard of her. And she is the filmmaker hired by Hitler and the Third Reich to create the propaganda films that we now know and mm -hmm. abhor called Triumph of the Will, um, which were the those night rallies in Nuremberg. And so right. um, she was just this fascinating, monstrous creature to me. And at 22, which is, I think, how old I was, 20, 24, maybe 23, I just was like totally fascinated with her. She was my age when she made her first film back in like 1914. I mean, just like who's making films 
at, in that era when you're that young and that female. <laughs> so I just was like, who is she? Um, so I wrote this short monologue and it really struck a nerve with the people that came and witnessed it. And then I think it was recorded for the local like public radio station and that struck a nerve and I just kept going with it. And so finally in 2004, I had a final draft and it, I made it into a two-hander. It's um, young Lenny Riefenstahl in the age range when she was actually making these films. And then Riefenstahl in her very, very aged years, she lived to be 101. She actually was alive. Whoa. She was alive when I was writing it. And she died wow. right before I um, produced it. And I actually got in touch with her partner, who was 40 years her junior. What? Hey. Yes, I know. Hey, hey. Horst Kentner was his name. And I got in touch with him and said, I'm writing about Lenny. And I, I just, you know, and he was like, no, you're not. You have no right to do that. So I, I realized there was no cheese at the end of that tunnel and stopped that conversation immediately. <laughs> and... Um, just yeah, so we uh, produced it in Portland and in Seattle uh, initially at Strawberry Theater Workshop in Seattle, and at Inside Out Theater Collective in Portland. And then in 2007, it went to the New York Fringe Festival, and it got picked up most recently um, at Aurora Theater in Berkeley, California. It, it's it's one of those plays that gets real popular around the election cycle. Oh. <laughs> so uh, unfortunately, I wish it was irrelevant, but it is not. It's about mm. the responsibility of the artist. Uh, what happens when we create a piece of art that moves the soul of a people in the direction of hatred and genocide? Wow. Um, and what happens to the art? And can you separate it from the person? And mm. I'm just very curious about all that. She was a genius, like a bona fide genius and a monster at the same time. And also a, an, an incredible narcissist, which, of course, the Nazis were famous for drawing to their inner circle. Um, but I was very curious, too, about the way her work was handled. She was one of 113 filmmakers who were part of the propaganda machine for the Third Reich. And she was the only woman. She was the youngest. And she was the only one who was tried for war crimes. I was going to ask if she was tried. I thought she was. I remembered reading that. Right. She was. And but, we, you know, we we hired all of these incredible propagandists from uh, the the Third Reich to come work for us for the Korea incident. That's what they called it, right? The Korea incident. Oh, and yeah, for the Korean War. And we brought mm -hmm. them here to help us. <laughs> totally. We brought them here. And and Lenny, though, she was just so damn good at it. She was revered by many and then just hated by others. And I just was real curious about her. So I, I wrote a play about her. And it's the one that just I mean, it's my first play, but it is my longest running play. And I still sell that manuscript hand over fist during these moments i've just sold quite a few just because people are like oh i want to talk about the media and i want to talk about how we manipulate stories and how we um you know this idea about truth like what is what is truth and what happens when it's coming from the mouth of your leader and when you say something mm. enough times you know what are we willing to not look at what are we willing to overlook it's oh, just it's boy. it's it, that that play is filled with all those questions Gosh, I, can you imagine if Lenny was 
doing that today, you know, with everything? Um, yeah, I think Lenny Riefenstahl is still here. And, mm. and also her her imagery was so powerful that we use it all the time. Mm. Uh, it's one of the things I bring up in my play. Um, you know, I look at any of the Calvin Klein ads from the 90s. They are totally like image for image, Lenny Riefenstahl. Um one of the things that made me want to write it was that day that George W. Bush sort of came out of the sky in that airplane and landed on the aircraft carrier and came out in front of all of those militia. And it's like mm-hmm. frame for frame, oh, Triumph of the God. Will. It's the opening oh. sequence of Triumph of the Will, frame for frame. And it's very powerful to witness. And she knew it. Um, you know, Susan Sontag wrote extensively about her work and, and, and Lenny Riefenstahl being sort of unfortunately credited with creating the fascist aesthetic, which is this single image in space that is um, heroic and perfect Mm. physically. Um, Lenny Riefenstahl is the first person that actually does that down angle that looks up to the physical object with nothing in the background. It makes them look very godlike. She was the first person to ever put a camera on a track and send that smooth. Whoa, yep, she's the first she person really? to do that. Absolutely. During her film Olympia, she was hired by the Olympic Committee in 1936 to film the Olympics. So she filmed all the Jesse Owens footage. That's all her. And so she's the first person who puts that on a track. She also dug out little holes underneath the high jump and did all these down shots. And so anything you see on ESPN is 100% Lenny Riefenstahl in terms of wow. style. So she, she really is still with us. And we... Um, imbibe her aesthetic all the time. And that's one of physical perfection and degradation of garbage and anything that she sees is less than. Yeah. It's through her lens of what she saw as degradation. Right. Yeah, right. Exactly. Yeah, uh-huh, old, yeah. oh, old yeah. disabled, like anything right. that falls into that gets super fascist. It's like, this uh, is horrible yeah. thing. And so yeah. it's about what we don't show, you know, what we, what we mm-hmm. omit is also a fascist behavior. So I have a question because you mentioned you mentioned this, and I want to know. Um, is this is a this is one a question that I have grappled with for a very long time? But um, art can you separate the art from the artist? Do you have a, a position on that, or, or are you still? I still have still questions. Mm-hmm. I still have questions. I still have questions, but I think um, from from where I stand right now, especially after walking through the Me Too movement and being um, uh, a, a, in deep conversation with with a, a lot of artists about, you know, can you separate the art from the artist? I, I'm really interested in biography. I'm really interested in people, and I think if something you create uh, is beautiful and moving. And it comes from a space of oppression. I don't want it. I don't care. We can make beauty in lots of different ways. We don't have to um, oppress others to wring that beauty out. Mm. So I guess I do have a stance on it. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Well, no, I was also thinking about um, artists who are chastised when they speak out against you know like actors or remember what happened to the dixie chicks oh my god yes oh my gosh yeah Mm -hmm. absolutely no but i i I was just watching hannah gadsby's piece again nanette which i just adore and douglas her new piece but in nanette she talks about picasso and Mm. um have you seen that 
that piece by Hannah Gadsby yet? No. It's an incredible one-woman show that's like, it's comedy, but what is it? It's wonderful. She's sort of in um, the nether regions of comedy. But her point in in this one instance was that uh, Picasso was kind of a sexual monster. Not kind of, he was a sexual monster. And at one point in his early 50s, he slept with a 17-year-old girl. And at the time, he said, it's perfect. She's in her prime and I'm in mine, and which is abhorrent. Mm. And it, Hannah Gadsby's mm. point was, no girl at 17 is in her prime. Right. That is ridiculous. And um, to assert that is, is, is dictatorship. It's, it's authoritarian. It's crazy. And so she's like, I don't care. I don't care what he made. I don't care what he made. Um, right. And so I, I, I've really been thinking about that a lot. It's hard. It's like, what do we do with our better known monsters? It's that Shakespeare moment right. at the end of Macbeth, right? Like, do we right. put their head on a spit and, pretend that that's separate from us. But here's the thing too, and this is where I get really confused about sort of where I stand on it. Um, We are that art. That is us. It is an expression of the darker cosmology of our emotional landscape. And so I love Woody Allen's work. And I, you know, like, what do I do with Woody Allen? So I, I have that conversation a lot with myself and others, and I'm still having a hard time with it. Well, and then what part of your notoriety or fame actually gives you license to do that then? So that's right. where I come in as, well, yeah, you know, like when I, I, Cosby, that's the conversation right? I want to have is they yeah. don't have a license to do anything because of the right. genius. Right. So that's where I fall. <laughs> yep. Uh, On that like- amazing note. <laughs> <laughs> No, this is all good. These are the conversations I feel like um, are part of the healing that you talk about in your work. You have to look at it. I feel like if we're Mm -hmm. not looking at it, we're doing ourselves a huge disservice. And, um, and the art is part of it. You are so easy to talk to. Ah. I was looking at work. No, I mean, and it feels like we just started talking. Tori, we better get to our question. I know. Or asking for a friend question. Okay, oh. let's do it. Although, although I really feel like, can you separate the art from the artist was I a know. great question. Um, but I do have a question. It's a, it's a question for the times. Um, for the times. All for right. the times. So how soon after an election should people take down their flags and (laughs) signs and maybe peel the bumper stickers off like how how long but tori question loser Um, are we talking about losers are we talking about winners That's a great question. I'm going to leave. Listen, I saw a car the other day with a Dukakis sticker on it. Okay. So I don't know the answer to this for sure. But my my hope, my hope is that they come down quickly just for my own sanity. Um, I, we live in a really beautiful part of the state. I live in Eastern Oregon in the high desert at the base of the Wallowa mountain range. And there's a lot to look at out here. And so when I am driving by a person's home, I really don't want to see their big, huge ass flag. And some of them have like 
big curse words on it. Gosh, the I truck know. flags. And I've got children who can read, you know, and so right. I would really like for those to come down sooner rather than later. But you know what? If that's all you have, if your only thing in life is that you were super pumped about your candidate, then, you know, leave it up. That's fine. I'm a, I'm a free will person. I'm a free will person. I, I love that, Sarah. I love that because that is completely aligned with your work and your <laughs> yes. art. No, it is. It's completely, it's let's uh, not seek, let's seek first to understand, Absolutely. right? And let's, yeah. And finding joy. I mean, I think that I am going to take that into consideration the next time I drive by and see a flag that I don't necessarily agree with. I think I'm just going to go that person. That's what they've got. That's what they've got. That's what they've got. That's their joy. That's their joy. That's what they've got. Also, I'm really big into repurposing fabrics. So if you're listening to this podcast and you have a flag, a very large maybe flag outside your house, with a big red name on it. You know, quilting is a wonderful habit. I also love patching things up with old, you can make really wonderful hook rugs out of stripped pieces of fabric. Although I think um, this certain person's fabrics are mostly flammable. So be careful. Don't give it to a child. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. Good to know. Made out of really bad polyesters. So yeah. Do not make pajamas. No pajama pants out of. Do not, do not put it near a campfire. No. No, nope. <laughs> I don't want to be on that. That's not going to be on my back. Yeah, that's going to be on my content. <laughs> oh, goodness. Good tip. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, Sarah, um, one thing we do ask each of our guests is if they could share a writing prompt for our two listeners who happen to be our moms. Our moms. Oh, and- good. Hi, moms. I love mom. I kept telling my mom yesterday. I was like, "Mom," because I was telling her when I gave her the deck. I was like, "Oh yeah, just listen to this certain this this episode, um, and it we'll talk more about we talk more about it on on that episode." And I I'm love like, no, it. Never mind. She's coming on the show tomorrow night. Like, just wait for that episode. You'll love it. You'll it'll be perfect. Great. Perfect. So. Well, I I do have a prompt and um, I brought a poem with me because I love poetry and it's what really like, it gets me really excited. Like I, poetry is my jam. And I've just been rereading this poem by Maggie Smith called Good Bones. Yeah. You know it? So, yes, I do. So it goes like this. Life is short, though I keep this from my children. Life is short, and I've shortened mine in a thousand delicious, ill-advised ways. A thousand deliciously ill-advised ways that I will keep from my children. The world is at least 50% terrible, and that's a conservative estimate, though I keep this from my children. For every bird, there is a stone thrown at a bird. For every loved child, a child broken, bagged, sunk in a lake. Life is short, and the world is at least half terrible, and for every kind stranger there is one who would break you, though I keep this from my children. I am trying to sell them the world. Any decent realtor walking you through a real shithole chirps on about good bones. This place could be beautiful, right? You could make this place beautiful. 
So that's her incredible poem that I just absolutely love. And so here is my writing prompt. Are you ready? Yes. (laughs) So you can do this in two ways. Here they are. I want you to write a real estate advertisement for the world. What will you highlight for the reluctant buyer? What good bones are you going to shine a light on in your advertisement? Or if you're a playwright, uh, write a monologue from the realtor who's walking you through the half terrible world and only lift up the half wonderful bits, selling points and insider tidbits about how someone could really make this place beautiful. Wow. That is a great prompt to sink your teeth into. And I like that you gave two different options. But I would do them both. I did do them both before I came on and I just loved it. I was like, oh, this is fun. I'm going to do it. So uh, I love that you also do your own prompts. Oh, yeah. How do you know <laughs> if they're any good? I mean, my gosh, you have to try your own Tori, stuff. Tori, we should try that sometime. That's <laughs> like, you know, sipping your marinara sauce. You can't just hand that over to guests without trying it first. <laughs> uh. We do. Uh, you're like, I don't know. I haven't tasted it, but enjoy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that's awesome. But then, that's you know, great. we like we like to live life on the edge like that. Clearly. I love that about you. And I've only just met you. So I can on see. On the edge. <laughs> literally. On and, the and edge. We usually tell. Yeah, Tori's literally on just, the edge. Yeah. I, I'm going to post the picture of, of what, what we're looking at when we see Tori because it's it's really ridiculous. But trying out prompts that we've never tested before is normal for us. Well, um, I, and, But we, we tell people, like, we're doing this for the first time. This is an experiment. It may not work, but we also celebrate mistakes. I that's, think that's, yeah. just being honest so. about where we're at is all that's required <laughs> of any human being. We, we basically invite them into our crazy fun house. <laughs> I love that. We Come don't on know in. It's fun for anyone else, but uh, we're sure having a good time. <laughs> and don't stand in front of that mirror too long. <laughs> and don't trust the clowns. Never trust the clowns. Oh, oh. my goodness. Um, Sarah, uh, yes. before we wrap this up, do you have any thoughts about the historic news we received well um i have so many thoughts i i have to say i'm really disappointed at the numbers i thought we were further along i thought we were ready Mm -hmm. more ready than we are Mm -hmm. and um i guess that shock is just a sign of my privilege and my and that is something i'm working with too and sort of come waking up to that again and again and again every year of my life (laughs) But um, I'm so grateful and celebratory for the uh, the incredible activists and organizers who got this vote out. When I think about the work um, being done out there, I'm just I, I'm so grateful. I, I think we humans are incredibly creative, powerful little creatures, and I'm really happy that it went the way that it went. I myself have a child with disabilities. I have uh, mm-hmm. another child who is definitely um, falls outside of the box um, in other ways. And so as a mother, I'm breathing again and I feel like I can actually sell my children the world again. You know what I felt really good about? So my niece 
is half Indian. Uh-huh. And uh, I, yesterday, it was like, you know, in between the tears of like, <laughs> and my kids are like, no idea why I'm so emotional. They're like, he, right. are you happy? Like, what's happening? <laughs> yeah, like, this is good, right? He won. Like, we wanted this. But I was just thinking about my niece because she, she's young. She's eight years old. And she is going to grow. She's growing up in this world, not knowing that, that women in yeah. the White House, like, that it's not a, that like that that that's normal you yeah. know that it's like someone that looks like her same skin color as her like that's that's duh like of course that happens absolutely like, it's not you know it's not the impossible which i think is really amazing really- i i love that i love that i mean i felt my son um is 12 and so his his opening years were the eight years with Obama. And when um, the last election was happening in 2016, I remember him asking very clearly, um, can a white man be president? And I said, Oh my God. Right. Of course you don't know. And I was like, well, turns out, unfortunately (laughs) they can. But I loved that that was his perspective was like, well, gosh, it'll be really hard for a white man to be president. I was like, (laughs) totally. I'm relieved. I'm very relieved. I'm excited to do the work that lies ahead. And I hope that this can be a moment, like they said, of healing. I hope, Mm -hmm. you know, I think about this word crisis that this sort of the the old latin of crisis is the moment in the disease when the fever either takes you or it breaks mm. and so i feel like this crisis moment is the the body of our country in its fever dream um trying to shake loose some of this old habit energy of white supremacy old habit energy energy of um the the patriarchy and we're we've got to shake this fever or our where we're gonna we're gonna die. Yeah, I know that's kind of a down note to end on, but I really feel like we're gonna get better. <laughs> I'm a hopeful person, and I feel like my heart is hoping again for the first time in a long time this week. All right, Sarah, we have kept you for long enough. Sarah, thank you so much for joining us and telling us all about your journey as a playwright and a mom and an artist and we look forward to traveling out and seeing your play next year uh, hopefully when we are back to in-person events thank you so much both of you it's such a pleasure to speak with you and just hear you in real time and like be with you i'm just thrilled thank you tori mabel isn't it fun when you get to meet someone that you admire and get to just have a a real conversation with them about their life and um, where they draw their ideas from. Yeah. I mean, I know we met her when we went to that zoom call that she did, but this was different. It was so, it was so intimate. And I I really appreciate Sarah um, being vulnerable with us and you know, just candidly answering our questions and letting us peek into how she creates her art. Absolutely. And the, just the, the things that she said really resonated. And I think like we have shared philosophies about uh, why we do what we do, how we do what we do and, um, and how we know that the work is, is meaningful uh, to other people, but also to ourselves. 
So, uh, this is our penultimate show. That's my big million dollar SAT word. I don't even know if it's on the SATs anymore, but second to last of the season. And we will be taking a little break for the holidays, but we'll pop in. Why we'll do maybe like a little, we'll be, we'll do the Hey Playwright holiday special just to, uh, just to check in with the world and see if I made my deadlines. <laughs> we should check in with uh, favorite holiday recipes. Totally. Do you have some? Well, yes. Okay, we'll I, save we'll save them for the show. Do I, do I have favorites that I can make or favorites that I like to eat? <laughs> we can we can, we we can, can talk about with, that later. Yeah, we can go with both. I like that. Um, <laughs> but um, all right, world. If you are not following us on the socials, um, we are on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. If you have any anything you would like us to know about yourself or you would like us to know about ourselves, um, leave us a message. Um, you can find us on HeyPlaywright.com. I guess that's it for now. Uh, hey, <laughs> bye. <laughs> high five. We, high five. High five, Playwright. <laughs> high five for for starting new projects and, um, mm. and uh, being productive this week. Here's to being productive. All right. Bye, bye. everyone. Bye, Mundo. Bye.